0: This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a 2000 dollars bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at hire.com/slash iFreaks. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 160 of the iFreaks Show. This week on our panel we have Andrew Madsen. Hello from Salt Lake City. James Uber. Hello from nowhere near Utah. <laughs> We, we have two uh, new voices for you. The first one is Caleb Hicks.
1: Hi, from Lehigh, Utah.
0: And the other is Lane. I can't see his last name anywhere.
2: Mosley.
3: Mosley. You got it. Yeah, this is Lane
2: Mosley. I'm from Utah as well.
3: All right. That was you know, not I, on I, purpose. I, I should say, people from the coast probably think we're neighbors, but no. I, it's, cl- it, it's it's close enough, James. Yeah. I mean, Minnesota, Utah, you know. I'll tell you, when I lived in
0: Italy, the distances between major cities is a whole lot lower because it's a smaller country. And so I'd show them a map of the United States and point to Utah, and they'd be like, oh, so you live right next to California. Do you know my cousin in L.A.? (laughs) So, yeah, same kind of
4: thing. We also have a special guest this week, and that's Evan Stone. Hello. I am uh, from the San Francisco North Bay area, so I'm not right in San Francisco, just north of it. It's beautiful Sonoma County.
0: Cool. Do you want to give us a brief introduction, who you are, what you do?
4: Sure. Yes. I am a lead iOS developer for Cloud City Development in San Francisco. And Cloud City is an integrated design and development shop. And uh, we do a lot of web app development and design. We have a great design team and uh, we also do mobile apps as well. And so that's where I fit in on the iOS side. And uh, we've also been branching out into working with uh, startups and companies that are developing hardware uh, solutions, hardware devices, and uh, creating apps for them as well.
0: Awesome. Well, we brought you in today to talk about IoT uh, and iOS. You did a talk at iOS Remote Comp, which is a conference that I put on, and we had several of these gentlemen speak at back in March, I think it was. Do you want to give us just a quick rundown of how iOS developers think of IoT? Because I believe it's, it's different from people who are actually hooking up their Arduino to their computer and loading code right onto it.
4: And first, yes, tell, us, tell us what IoT means. Sure. That's a great place to start, actually, is what is this IoT thing? And so IoT stands for Internet of Things. And uh, as it sounds like, there it's basically connecting hardware devices to other hardware devices. And it can, but doesn't always have to use the internet. So IoT is sort of a loaded term in that respect. But basically, when you talk about it, it's basically devices talking to other devices. That, that's the way I think of it. And then, uh, Chuck, you asked about how iOS developers think about it. I'm not sure uh, how other iOS developers think about it. But when I Consider IOT. We definitely think about it in terms of how our apps can interact with them, how, how they can communicate and, you know, get, working out the, the, the technical side of things on, on the communications between the devices. If you're basically working on an Arduino project, you're pretty much focused just on that. Usually, maybe, you know, whatever, whatever hardware project you're, you're working on, you've got your uh, Arduino IDE that you're working with and, uh, and getting the Arduino to do cool things, but then to take it to the next level is sort of where, where I see it, which is not only do you have this hardware device that can do cool things, but then you may want to be able to interact with it on your mobile device, your iPhone, your iPad, whatever. And so that that's, I think where the value comes in really for iOS developers to start thinking about is uh, how we can be developing applications that function well, that add value to these devices.
0: I really think that's interesting because, yeah, if it comes right down to it, if I have something that I'm automating or connecting to and I can do that on my iPad or my iPhone, I'd much rather do that than have to plug my computer in and, and, you know, bring it up and carry it around. And so, yeah, I really like the way that you put that together because it is, it's about communication with these devices and making them work to make our lives easier.
4: Yeah, especially when you think about that some of these devices really aren't, all that smart unto themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. especially if you think about maybe like a, an eye beacon where really it's sole purpose in life is to spit out some numbers. You know, that's all it does. And there are, there are more, complicated or more sophisticated functionalities that, that, uh, that certain beacons do have. But when it boils down to it, that's pretty much what they're doing. So then you have to start thinking, well, okay, what can I do with those numbers? And, and people are doing some really interesting things with uh, those kinds of devices. And I think we're really just in the infancy right now. It's really exploded over the last year. It's funny because when I look at the news on uh, as far as uh, Internet of Things and uh, mobile devices and uh, wearables and, and nearables, uh, all of those, those uh, kind of topics, it's changed so much from just over the last year and especially... I started really getting involved in this probably two years ago. I think it was 2014 when I had a project I was working on that was using iBeacons. And that was my first exposure to it. And it was very kind of confusing and scary. And uh and as I've been doing a little bit more of it, it's gotten a little bit better, and you can really see how these things can be used in, in interesting ways. So the nice thing is too, um I don't know if we wanted to get into this right now, but the barrier has become uh lowered quite a bit also. The barrier for entry on just individual hobbyists going ahead and getting, being able to purchase little devices and to be able to do interesting things with them. The cost barrier is really low now. And I think that's all very exciting. I think that leads to a question
0: that I wanted to ask everybody on the call. And that is, how much have you done with IoT devices? Um We're, you know, we're talking Raspberry Pis all the way up to like the Nest thermometer and things like that, that are much more built and polished and have APIs that you can hit. Andrew, I know you've done some with this stuff. What's what's your experience?
5: My real professional background is in hardware engineering and I've my last big project I did at my last job as a hardware engineer was actually a a camera that had a companion iOS app and, you know, streamed video over Wi Fi and everything where I was working on the hardware and the mm-hmm. iOS app. And then more recently, actually along with Caleb, I'm working on a Kickstarter project we did called Wired In that Includes a Bluetooth connected sign and an iOS app and a Mac app and, and other stuff around that. So I do have some experience, but I don't really know about all the different options that are out there. And it seems like it's changing every three or four months.
3: How about you, Jane? So I haven't done a lot specifically, but I have been you know, researching IoT over the past year or two. And one of the first things you're going to find out if you start searching IoT, it's a huge, huge market. And there's a lot of different verticals that are involved. You know, we're talking Today about IoT and iOS, probably connecting devices, connecting to different devices, you know, connecting your phone to some Arduino thing or some device around your house. Or you know, I, I know people that have been working on projects, snowmobiles, you know, just doing kind of Bluetooth lower energy BLE connections. But there's also, you know, analytics. That's a big part of it. You'll probably not get into a lot of that, but it's a huge field. And so when you start searching for IoT, you just get a, a huge deluge of information. But, you know, it could be some gas tank out in the middle of a, a cord field in Wyoming, just going to a cellular signal, uploading data on how full it is. And, you know, just getting all this data, what do you do with it? That's where analytics comes in and the communication. So a lot of it isn't directly from the phone to a device. It's directly to an API, which is talking to the device. But there's a lot of ways to approach it. But I'm looking forward to hearing more about the, actually talking to actual devices from our phone and you know, near field stuff. That'll be cool. Awesome. How about you, Lane? Yeah, my
2: main experience with it is, is from the consumer side. So, you know, I've got two Nest thermostats. I've got, uh, Amazon Echo. And then my new favorite is a, is a Ratchio, which is a, uh, sprinkler controller. And that's actually been my favorite. And, uh, to me, it almost seems like, you know, these Internet of Things devices using a smartphone to connect to them is mainly because our AI isn't very good yet. It seems kind of like this, you know. We've everyone's got smartphones, and so it's the easiest, most convenient way to talk to these devices because, you know, they don't talk back to us. You know, I've got an Echo, and it's pretty great, but still, the AI is so limited that you know I find that it can be kind of frustrating to use. And so, um, I think the Ratio is the best one I've had so far because their app is just super good, and I really like it.
1: Awesome. And how about you, Caleb? So Nest actually came out the week we closed on our house. I felt I spent you know tens of thousands of dollars on my house, and I was going to go and get a couple of Nest thermostats, one for upstairs and one for downstairs. And so that was kind of my first experience with this stuff. And I waited for the APIs to open up and played around with connecting it with if this, then that, which was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I get a text message when it's going to be cooler outside than I normally want my house. So it will, uh, uh I've got, I, if this, then that telling me to, you know, open my windows and also having it turn off my nest. I have played around with smart things. It's in my closet now. That's, I think it was a Kickstarter project, but it eventually was purchased by Samsung. And so I kind of stopped playing around with that. From the development standpoint, I actually briefly played around with the RF Duino about two two years ago and had a little iOS app that would turn an LED on or off and change colors. Uh, so the RF Duino was a really fun device to play around with. That was kind of in the very early days of that Kickstarter project that Andrew and I have been working on. But uh I guess the only other experience I, I have with it is I teach at a school called Death Mountain. And a few of the the students there have worked with the Bean and a couple of other devices to make some projects opening or unlocking doors and turning on and off lights and driving around little cars and stuff like that. So they've shown me some cool stuff along the way as well. So I'm interested to to know more.
0: Cool. My experience, uh, I've done a few things with IoT devices. I've built a Pinewood Derby track, if you're familiar with Cub Scouts that actually, it's all hardware. I would love to hook it up to my phone or something so that it actually would uh, post the times there so that I can just keep track of it on a device that I can hold in my hand or sit in my lap. So that's kind of eventually, I think, a next step on that. I also have, I don't have a Nest thermometer, but I have uh, the ring doorbell. And I have the Nest app on my phone because we have a camera that is pointed at the baby's crib and that's kind of our baby monitor. So I have a few devices like that that I'd be interested in seeing what we could make them do. Um, I'm curious, Evan, does all of this kind of line up with what you see as the experience that developers have with IoT?
4: Yeah, I think so. It really seems to be that way. We're all having these experiences with these devices. Actually, you guys have more experience on the the consumer side than I think that I do you know I don't have a nest or a ring doorbell but I've seen them and I and I really would like to implement those personally but definitely we're all having these these experiences and I would guess that this has probably happened over the last year year and a half that we've kind of been seeing these things and so this is why I was saying earlier, we're really just at the beginning because it's just going to keep going on and on and on. And we'll see more of these things. Uh, and especially when we get into the subject of the vertical markets, I think Jane was mentioning that, especially in the fields of health, fitness, uh the medical field is really taking off. I think that's all very consistent with what we're seeing. And and I think what's going to happen as iOS developers will probably start having more of these kinds of experiences and being able to actually build our own apps, whether it's at the hobby level or actually being part of organizations that are developing these iOS solutions, either for clients of ours or for our companies that we're working for. Uh, like maybe if you're working for Nest or working for Ring or you know to companies like that that are developing these, I think that's really gonna gonna be very common.
3: So, what are some of the ways that we communicate with IoT devices near field? BLE seems like the standard. I beacon. Can you talk about the different ways we can talk to devices that are say in the same room?
0: I was going to say, what do you mean by near field? So, in the same room, within
4: say ten feet. So yeah, as iOS developers, I think. The two main things that we use to communicate with these devices, there's basically two. And one, it's basically the ones that you you mentioned there. First of all, there's core Bluetooth framework, and then there's core location. Now, what's funny is that when I first started doing work with iBeacons, I, I totally thought, well... It's a Bluetooth device, so it should be in core Bluetooth, right? And then, so I was nosing around, I was actually trying to do some core Bluetooth-y kind of things. And then I realized, wait, no, 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 this, it's someplace else. <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, um, it turns out when you're working with iBeacons, it's actually handled by core location, which at first glance sounds a little funny. But then when you realize that really the, the iBeacons are are meant to be proximity devices. They're meant to indicate location, proximity to the device, proximity to each other. Then you, you begin to see that core location makes a lot more sense. And I think it's a really, really kind of fun to work with. But let me, let me address the other, the other side of the thing of the the question, which is that the other means that we usually use to communicate with these devices is through Bluetooth low energy. Which is part of the, the Bluetooth 4.0 specification. And it is a way, kind of like as it sounds, it's meant to be a low power, low bandwidth kind of means of communicating between your iOS device. And, um, or I'm sorry, the Bluetooth low energy itself is meant communicating between several devices, right? But in the, the context of core Bluetooth, it only handles the ble side of things so if you start looking at core bluetooth thinking you're going to start doing the standard bluetooth work that that's not what it's for it's really just for bluetooth low energy and it is it's a uh, uh meant to be a low power consumption protocol and it really helps these ble devices to last a really long time just running off a like a coin cell battery and, and that's really the purpose of it too. And that's why iBeacons work the way that they do as well too. They are very low power consumption. They are part of the BLE uh, specification. They are a Bluetooth low energy device, but they just have a, they have a slightly different purpose, which is just to send out a little signal periodically. And that's the beauty of it too, which is it's very, very, it's a very simple model and you can do some really, really interesting things. Uh, with it. So the, the two main frame, frameworks are the core location and core Bluetooth for iBeacons and uh, Bluetooth low, low energy, respectively.
1: Do you have any devices that you recommend to
4: get started with? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's actually, it's a really good one, especially because the, even that landscape is changing so quickly, even in over the last uh, year or so. Some of the devices that I like to recommend people start off with, I think, Someone already mentioned the bean, which is the light blue bean by punch through design. That's a very nice uh, device to get started with because it has not only Bluetooth low energy built into it, but also it's uh, basically an Arduino also. So it's a nice thing to get started with. If you, if you want, if you already know some Arduino and you want to start prototyping, That's a nice device. They also have a new one called the Light Blue Bean Plus, which has some extra bells and whistles. And we can, we can post a link in the, in the notes, I guess, for, for that. Some other things that, uh, if you really want to just kind of, maybe you already have an Arduino. This is an, an interesting idea too, which is if you already have an Arduino, you can purchase what's, what's called a BLE shield. It's a Bluetooth low energy, board that just basically fits right on top of your arduino and plugs right into it and uh, then it enables bluetooth low energy uh, communication functionality right from your arduino so that's kind of a nice option too the other thing that i'd like to mention is the uh, the particle photon which is and they also have one called the electron but we'll just talk about the photon the photon is a uh, primarily a ble kind of device but it can also communicate with uh, servers via Wi-Fi, so it's kind of a really interesting thing too, where uh, where you can actually communicate with an API that that tells the the Particle Photon what to do. That's a really neat thing too. But I think you know a, a really good starting place is probably the Light Blue Bean. That's if you want to do BLE. Now, if you want, if you really want to start off, um, that's sort of at the ground level, and maybe you want to try out iBeacons. There are a couple of really nice alternatives or things to get started with for iBeacons. The ones that I've worked with the most are the Estimote beacons and also the ones from uh, Gimbal, who is uh, and that company is, I believe they're a subsidiary or uh, they're owned by Qualcomm. And uh, Gimbals are nice because they are inexpensive. I think they run you about five bucks a piece, I think and uh, the other nice thing about them is that you can swap out the battery when the battery goes low. Uh that's not the case with the the Estimote. I mean you can change out the battery on an estimate, but you have to like take a razor blade to it and cut it open <laughs> to get the to get the the actual device out and then swap the battery and then close it back up. So it's kind of like you almost have to destroy it to actually replace the battery. So it's not a really practical uh solution, but the nice thing is that the battery does last last a long time um on the the estimotes, but yeah, as far as the gimbal is concerned, that's what I've used a lot. In fact, uh, there's a project that uh, we've been working with that I've been working with with uh, MIT. There's a, a group called uh, it's Pop Up Labs, and what they do is they are going around creating uh, maker spaces for hospitals. And one of the things that they've provided is a a kit to sort of Teach medical professionals, specifically nurses, but medical professionals sort of teach them and inspire them about making things uh for healthcare, because they found that this is a it's a, a good way to to get people started to build their own solutions in the medical field. So it's kind of an interesting, interesting solution. That's actually another topic entirely, and that's kind of the subject of the AltConf talk that I'll be doing next week. But at any rate, getting back to the devices. I, we've been using gimbals for that particular project and it was very nice, very, very easy to work with. I think if you, if you wanted to get started in this whole sphere of working with devices and iOS, I think iBeacons are probably a good place to start for that because that's not, you don't have that many issues to deal with. And once you get your head wrapped around how I, iBeacons work, then it's pretty straightforward. And then you can really start thinking of some, some interesting and fun applications for it.
1: So if iBeacons are the place to start, what are some good starting projects that people should look at doing before they they really get into this stuff? That is
4: a good question. In the case of both core Bluetooth and core location, you can actually, if you have an extra device lying around that's uh, either an iPhone 4S or higher, and I think it's the iPad 3 or higher, I'd have to check up on that, but any of the devices that support Bluetooth 4.0 and greater, uh, you can actually turn those into beacons or BLE devices. Uh, so, so that's another alternative too. If you have if you have one of those devices lying around, you could actually turn those into it, and then you can do things like an interesting application. So, there's already a product out in the wild called I think it's called Tile, and it's sort of a I lost my keys now I'm trying to find them kind of thing. So that's that's one of the first things that I did with iBeacons was when I got that, I would sort of use a locator, right? I built a little locator app that would allow you to sense roughly where the beacon was. And so I I'd tell my daughter to go hide it. <laughs> She'd go hide it and then I'd try to fight it and vice versa. So we'd play it as a little game. So that's kind of a fun little thing you can do uh, getting started with beacons. There are some challenges with that too, because the positioning and proximity sensing is, it's very, it's pretty vague with eye beacons. Mostly it's just a measure of how close you are to it. It's, I, I liken it to you're getting warmer, getting warmer. No, getting colder, 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 warmer, warmer, warmer. Ah, there you go. So that's kind of how it, it works from, from my perspective.
3: Those are some fun projects that you could, you could try. So we had a tip from a previous podcast where we talked about iBeacons when this was a newer oh. technology. Where I, I can't remember the name of the guest, but he did a, did an app where he put his iBeacon in his suitcase, and when he traveled somewhere, he knew what it was coming off the baggage claim. So that's a simple <laughs> app. Yes, and in fact,
4: Samsonite has now made that a product. So they now build you know a suitcase that actually has a beacon built into it, and that's exactly what it does. But you could circumvent that by just doing that yourself. Put an Estimote. Into your luggage, and uh, you'd be able to detect those as well. That's a great application, right there. That's a great idea.
0: It was uh, awesome, sharp, and he also said that he's put iBeacons in his kid's backpack, so when the bus
4: shows up, it notifies him on his
2: phone. Hey, that's great. That is so cool.
4: Yeah, and uh, awesome. He did the the BLE, or I'm sorry, the iBeacon talk at iOS remote. remote. Yep, he did. Yes, yes. I, I enjoyed his talk very much. We're talking a lot about
5: iBeacons and Bluetooth, which uh, iBeacons are an application of Bluetooth 4.0, but I think another part of the internet of things, and maybe the more internet-y part of internet of things, is things that are actually connected to the internet, like the Nest thermostat or the Ring doorbell or whatever. Those devices typically, other than maybe sometimes for configuration, but they don't connect to your phone directly. Rather, they're connected through the internet, and you run an app, and you can access them from anywhere. I know it's kind of nice to be able to turn on my Nest, you know, like I'm well, it's actually set up to auto detect when I'm coming and going, but if I know I'm no, I'm going to be home in an, in an hour and I want to heat the house up, I can turn it on from an hour away. What if you want to work on that kind of thing where you've got a device that's actually connected to the internet?
4: Yeah, that's up there for that. That's a great uh, question and um I already mentioned about the particle photon and I think that is exactly the kind of device that would be good for that kind of application to prototype with and play with, because the Particle Photon actually it connects through Wi-Fi, and so it's it's really talking to a server out there, and and then you write an app that can communicate to the server and tell the Photon what to do. So that actually is a better, a, a more close application of what you're you're discussing there, and. Um, yeah, the photon's a great device. In fact, I was just at a, um, I visited a hardware accelerator just the other week, and I can't really talk about what they're working on, but it was really interesting to see what these guys were doing with the photon. But that's a, it's a, a perfect example of what you were just talking about, like with the nest functionality where you, you're, you don't even have to be net, uh, right beside your device. You can actually control it remotely that way. And then it gets even more exciting when you think about the Electron, which I also mentioned, which is it adds cell connection into the mix. So then not only can the device be in your house connected to your Wi-Fi. But it can also be sitting out in the field somewhere, <laughs> you know, and as long as there's a, a cell connection, it can be controlled remotely. And let's say if you like I was thinking maybe a farming application might be good for this where you want to turn on or measure irrigation, you know, some, something that's out remote out in the in the field somewhere. And it can be giving you readings or perhaps you can actually tell it to control those types of functions completely remotely. And it's over a cell connection. So yeah, that's, a, that's another interesting
0: thing. Those are really big sprinklers.
5: Well, when we we were at Build, whenever that was, a couple of months ago now, we t- we actually were talking to somebody about some of the things that Microsoft has around the Internet of Things. And he gave the example of the Internet of Things is a lot about sort of these big, almost like industrial applications, like uh, farmers have devices in their silos that allow them to check the status of their grain without actually driving their truck out to, to check it. So I think it goes far beyond consumer applications
2: i've got a brother-in-law that's into farming and uh he showed me his tractor and i mean that thing is like state-of-the-art technology like they don't even drive those things anymore they like set them up they're connected to satellites and they drive themselves it's kind of amazing
4: dang that's cool that is awesome wow But that's cool. So, and that that kind of gets at what we're we're driving at here. That, and I I still think we're really are kind of just at the beginning of of seeing these things appear. So, we will see more devices like the Electron. I'm not sure if the Intel Edison is the same way. Might not be. But anyway. But if you wanted to get started on something, the Particle Photon. Is, I think, $29. I could be wrong on that, but it's somewhere in the 30-ish range, I believe. And, uh, it's, that's also an excellent way to get started on this, uh, especially if you're looking for that kind of functionality where you're, you're, you really don't want to be or need to be right next to your device.
2: So, uh, I'd like to get some opinions on some theoretical stuff. So, you know, I think the threshold of Internet of Things and AI and stuff is like Jarvis from Iron Man, you know? That kind of an AI where you can talk to it, get opinions. He can control your whole home, all that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, we're a long ways off from that, but I have an Amazon Echo and my four year old son, like that's his go to for information. (laughs) You know, he, he's figured out that, Hey, I can go into the kitchen and just say, Hey, Alexa and ask it any question. It's really kind of amazing to see him. And that's how he's being introduced to this technology. And so I'm just curious, you know, what you think about, you know, as we go along in the future, as all these devices are going to start connecting closer together, you know, are we going to have like a, a central computer type thing that controls everything? Or is it going to be individual devices like we have now? Um, I had a college professor that his future was an omnipresent computer that was just there everywhere all the time. So, anyway, I don't know. Any thoughts about that?
4: It certainly is an interesting thought. And your comments about the Amazon Echo are really interesting. And I've seen sort of the same thing with, with my daughter using uh, Siri. And it's funny because the other day I discovered that she was using the uh, Siri dictation on the Apple TV to not only find you know, find shows, but she was also like telling it what it was doing wrong.
2: That's super interesting because, you know, she is communicating like two ways with it, even though it probably won't work that well. You know, she's that's it. That's really great.
4: Yeah, I thought that was really funny because uh, she'd say things like, Siri, I want dog movies, but not these particular dog movies.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> it was really cute to see. But, you know, it, it all kinds of uh, it, it all begins to show that these are becoming interfaces for a much bigger thing kind of what you were mentioning where we will have I don't know as if it'll be one particular server you know or one one big thing I don't know but certainly lots of islands of this kind of uh AI would be really really interesting and uh and we'll probably see these devices Right now, they tend to be very distributed and very uh, sort of isolated, right? Mm -hmm. And then maybe in the future, we'll see more of them talking with each other. It's kind of hard to see where this is going to go.
0: One thing that I want to point out, though, is that... So I have an Amazon Echo, but I also use my phone for a lot of things. And both of them have apps for the Nest. They both have, you know, the I guess on the Echo, it's called a skill. But it has a Nest skill. It has uh, smart things... I think that's the company or the brand, but it has a lot of home automation systems that you can connect it to and teach the Echo the skill Then you can have the app on your phone. And it occurs to me that, yeah, a lot of times they're siloed, but they are becoming more and more, they're recognizing that the interfaces that people want to use for them are these things. So even though you may have six apps on your phone or you may enable six skills on your Echo, it's really interesting that. I think eventually what will happen is all of these systems will open up to these interfaces and then it won't matter who made them. And we'll get to the point where, you know, my wife can issue a voice command to turn the temperature or the music up or down. And then from up in my office, you know, I can adjust things from up here as well off of my phone, even though I don't have a, an Echo sitting in here.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting because it seems like, and we're watching it right now, Apple, they've got HomeKit. You know, Amazon—they've got their Echo, and they're—they're they're trying to become that single source of input. And you know, whether that pans out or not, I, I can kind of see the big companies trying to become—you know—that—that that thing.
0: Yeah, but the—the the thing that's nice is that it doesn't have to be one or the other. So if I prefer to use my phone, and my wife prefers to issue voice commands,
1: both can work. That's true. Yep. Yeah. Google's also getting in this game. Well, I should I should say Nest with their Thread protocol that they announced. There's others that have been around for a long time. We've got Z-Wave and Zigbee, and there's different protocols that if companies decide to unite around one of them, uh, we can get some of that interconnectivity without you know Google, Amazon, Apple, and Facebook all becoming friends again. Yeah. I,
0: I want to dig into another aspect of this, though. I mean, we're talking about these systems maybe opening up or maybe becoming more interconnected, possibly over the Internet. You can do that already with Nest and Ring and a lot of these others. I listen to the Twit.tv shows, in particular Twit and MacBreak Weekly. And on Twit in particular, whenever Leo, Leo Laporte is talking about his IoT devices in his house, he also has a Ring doorbell and some of these other things. He says that he puts all of those on a guest network because they can be hacked. And it, it gives them an island to jump off to the rest of your network from if it's on the network with the rest of your devices. So how much of a concern is security? I mean, are, are people doing a good job with security on IoT devices? Should we be taking these precautions? And how do we as developers think about these issues?
4: Yeah, that is that is probably the biggest hot button right now for IoT right now is the security issue. And uh, first of all, let me say, I actually, I live in Petaluma, so I'm in the same city that uh, those shows are recorded and I go down there every once in a while to the studio and listen in. It's fun. Dang, um, I'm going to come visit you and we'll go on a field trip. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That'd be fun. So anyway, getting back to the question. Yeah, security, definitely something that, People need to be thinking about. I'm not a security expert. I don't claim to be an IoT security expert, but it's one of these things. Like we need to just be aware that this is a thing. And it kind of gets to what Leo was describing, which is, you know, isolating these devices onto a separate network so that it's not the same one that everything else is connected, you know, anything, anything sensitive is because there's already been uh, documented hacks. Of people hacking into baby monitors and, uh, uh, having them do, do strange things or, or being able to pull off video and recordings. And that's a really, really scary kind of, uh, scenario. So, so it is definitely something that we need to be thinking about as app developers, but it's the, also the, the hardware developers need to be thinking about this as a, as a thing too. And, uh, it kind of gets back to, Knowing and using and employing, maybe you need to research these things, which is good security practices. There are white papers available that uh, talk about these. I think it's a Wind River has a nice white paper on this, I believe. But if you're not familiar with the problems, there's uh, I think TechCrunch did an article on why IoT security is so critical, and if, so if you just want to get a, a general idea as to why this might be a thing, that's a good place to start. And what is kind of nice too is that Apple has their their documentation for security concerns, and it, and it's basically a sort of an it, an overall guide for developing in a secure fashion, secure ways u- using best practices. So those are those are things that we need to be t- taking into consideration, and also it's probably incumbent upon us if we are doing the iOS side of the development to bring this up. Like if we are working with hardware engineers uh, who are our clients, or perhaps we're in the same company, they've probably already given this some consideration, but it's at least it would be the good IOT citizen uh, thing to do, which is to talk to them about it and bring it up and discuss and find out what the best solution is to, to plug any holes that are there and, the reading that I've done, there is just some, some very basic kind of things that you can do, like not transferring things over clear text. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's not terribly difficult kinds of things, like do encryption basics, keep things hidden where uh, they need to be hidden. Uh, and it's just basic good security practices to prevent nefarious acts. I guess that's kind of the, the best way of thinking of it.
2: I've got a friend that uh, he was or is, uh, he's working on smart door locks you can think you know security and door locks they kind of go hand in hand <laughs> and uh he was showing me some you know some things that they were doing but I'm not a security expert either but they uh there are a lot of a lot of smart locks out there that are really easily brute forced because you know they they just kind of accept a code that goes over bluetooth and if the code is right then they will unlock yeah there you go right
4: yeah, and one of the, uh, the the best practices that I saw, uh, I was reading about this recently, and uh, sort of making sure your devices do a secure handshaking first so that it knows who it's talking to is who it's supposed to be talking to even before you start entering a passcode or a, a, a door lock code or any of those kind of things, just to establish that kind of, kind of thing. Um, I'm sure there's very sophisticated ways of making those Kinds of credentials, you know, authenticating, and especially maybe with devices like the Photon, it might be there might be more sophisticated ways of doing it. I'm not, I'm not sure, but it's definitely something that we need to be concerned about because it's especially when we're talking about devices that are doing things like capturing video, capturing audio, and basically sort of hitting us in our most uh, secure, private areas of our lives. That's that's where that's where it really gets to be important to think about security. So yeah, that's a that's a great question.
2: I'm hoping that we can apply you know a lot of the things we've learned from client server relationships, you know, Internet of Things, and what we're talking about is a lot of kind of peer to peer communication. But I, I do think the same security standards apply. Yeah, definitely.
3: If we're digging into code with in the BLE, getting into the core Bluetooth stuff, what type of things are 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 we doing for an app? Let's say we have a device that. Creating your own thermostat and it's getting readings from your thermostat and it allows you to, you know, control it, raise it, lower it. What's the process for getting that info out of core Bluetooth? Are we doing like low level stuff, bit twiddling? Is it is it high level? Or what's the process like working with core Bluetooth with these devices? That's a very good question. Thankfully, core
4: Bluetooth is an abstraction over all of that. The Bluetooth Stuff that's going on under the hood, so in that respect it's it's very nice for us to work with as app developers and it kind of boils down to just a few kinds of basic processes and of course, you can get more complex if you want to, but basically it boils down to discovering your device, connecting to the to the device, and then you either read properties from it each let me back up a smidge here <laughs> so each device, it's not only just the device itself. It, what it does is it exposes some services. And the services then have these things called characteristics. So you have a couple of levels of things here. First is discovering the device itself. And uh, what's interesting about Core Bluetooth is that since you could have Literally an an ocean of (laughs) devices surrounding you. Uh, One thing you can do with Core Bluetooth is say, "Okay, show me all of the devices that support this." uh, For instance, like a thermometer service, or it can even be a proprietary. There are certain. There's a, a set of standard services that you can that you can search for that the Bluetooth. A special interest group has actually created and those are sort of the standard ones like heart rate monitor is one of those. But then you can also create your own. So from your app's perspective, you can tell core Bluetooth, find me all of the devices in the area that support this thermometer function and uh, it will go and it'll look and then it'll, it'll return you an array of these things. And then you either take the first one off the stack. Or you can say, Hey, uh, or you, maybe you do some, a little bit more inspection. Well, maybe there's one with a name in particular that you're looking for. That's typically what I look for. And then you say, okay, well, that's the one. And then you can connect to it and say, tell me what all your services are that you support. And then it'll, then it gives you the full boat because when it's in the broadcast mode, it will just say, it'll give you like a limited number of them. Um, and this, this gets back to the low energy side of things that it, when it's just sort of sitting there broadcasting, it's not going to, uh, to tell you everything necessarily. It could, if it has a limited number of, of services. So what you get into doing is uh then you, you do some introspection with the device. You say, what services do you support? Oh, that's, this is the particular service that I want. Maybe it's the thermometer. And then you go and you can do, you can either read characteristics or you can write to those things. So in the case of a a thermostat, maybe it has a current temperature reading. So then you can say, okay, give me the the value from that. And I'm simplifying things a bit, but... That's kind of how it works. And there's a lot of looping involved. <laughs> so if you're averse to looping and iterating through collections and, and arrays of things, then uh, it, it gets a little, little crazy, but you iterate through these things and you, you find the service, find the characteristic that you're looking for. And um, another really, really kind of helpful thing that you can do is not only can you just read to a characteristic, but you can say, I want to subscribe to this characteristic. And so when that happens, then like in the case of the thermostat, because we know temperature can change over time. So then you can connect to it. And then you can see how maybe it's fluctuating. Maybe it's not a thermostat on your wall. Maybe it's a Bluetooth thermometer that you're using to gauge someone's temperature with. And uh, then you can watch the temperature go up and up and up and up, hopefully not too high. But you can see that happening. And it's that the subscribing to that characteristic it'll notify you it'll say oh I've changed I've changed I've changed and then your app can capture those things with a, a delegate method that knows then you then you can do something interesting with it like display the temperature reading that's pretty much all there is to it there's there's probably more complex scenarios but in the basics that's that's what it is oh and you can also write to those characteristics too and in some cases this is helpful. I've been in my talks I've been using a device called the uh, the TI sensor tag so Texas Instruments. This is another I should have mentioned this in, in the devices list of things I didn't earlier but another really cool device to work with that's super fun to get started with with core bluetooth and it can also be turned into an iBeacon also so you can flip it back and forth if you want uh is the the Texas Instruments sensor tag. And uh what's cool about this is it has a bunch of different Sensors built into it already. So you don't have to necessarily plug those things in. You can, you can actually just read them. So uh, when in one of my talks about core Bluetooth, I use this to do things like uh, measure. A cup of coffee, see so see what the the reading is off that um because it has a built-in infrared sensor. it has uh ambient temperature too, so it can it can measure the temperature and also the humidity of the of the room that you're in um and it has accelerometer and uh, a bunch of different kind of uh, sensors built into it. i think ten different sensors so that that's a really good thing to get started with if anyone's interested in doing that. but getting back to what I was trying to say uh, or starting to say earlier. Which is that to turn on some of those functions, like to tell it, okay, start reading temperatures, you actually have to write to a characteristic that then turns it on. It's kind of like as if you had, maybe you had a class. I'm not saying that this is a good pattern, <laughs> but let's say you had a, like a, a Swift or Objective-C class that had a property that when you, you switch that property to, uh, yes, then that kicks off a process that it starts uh, spitting out data or start measuring data. It's that kind of thing. So you write to the characteristic in the Bluetooth, uh, low energy device. And, uh, in this case, the sensor tag, you tell it, okay, temperature sensor go. And then it, you write that characteristic and then it starts reading off the, uh, the values and and then you start reading them and, and you could see the temperature change over time. It's really cool. Yeah,
0: I've checked that out, and it looks really, really interesting, that DI sensor pack.
4: Yeah, and again, uh, this is what blows my mind, which is that, again, in this scenario with the sensor tag, it's only $29 plus shipping. Right. <laughs> so the barrier has been really lowered for us to, to at least to just start experimenting with it. And when I give these, the talks like the iBeacon one that I'm giving or the, the, uh, the core Bluetooth one, I, I'm not so much trying to, I'll, I'll teach a little bit about how Bluetooth works, core Bluetooth and, and all of those things. But for me, the real value is like trying to sort of inspire, uh, other developers to start thinking of, hey, There are new ways that we can start doing these things. And and maybe we can try some of these little prototyping boards or the sensor tag or whatever it is and start playing around with it and come up with some really interesting solutions to problems. And most of these sites, like I know Particle has a site, sort of a sub site to it. That, uh, so if you go look up the particle photon, they have a projects section. And in there, it's kind of like instructables. It's just this, it's a big list of, of projects that you can do using the particle photon and the electron showing what other people have done. And then you can get some inspiration from that as well. So that's, that's kind of what I like to do is just kind of nudge people in that direction and say, Hey, you know, try it out. You know, it's, sometimes it's frustrating, but it's a lot of fun and it's something interesting and i think it really takes ios development to the next level for you if you've if you haven't tried it before because you're no longer just dealing with an app inside the phone or your ipad and maybe dealing talking with an, an api on a back end You know, now you're starting to, to go out, reach outside the device and it really kind of expands that in a very interesting way so that you're talking with these, these devices. One of the things that that I, that I thought about earlier when I think we were talking about, I don't know if it was the Echo, but we see these with the proliferation of these devices so much now. The way that I knew that things were changing was when my wife came home with a Fitbit and to me, you know, because before that point, you know, I, I kind of had to twist her arm about upgrading an iPhone. So she came home with the Fitbit. And, uh, and to me, that was like a little local signal to, to me, like, yeah, times are changing. And so even as developers, we have to start thinking in terms of there are these devices that are out there now, and there's just a flood of them coming. There's so many companies out there that are startups, hardware startups, wearable startups. And so there's going to be lots of opportunities for folks who know how to do this already so that you can either be employed by them, or you can do work for them as a contractor and create uh, solutions for them. So yeah, it's it's great for all of us to to know about. And it's super easy and and super fun to play with. And like I said, the barrier is super low for entry.
0: All right. Well, uh, we're running low on time. So I'd like to get us to our picks. So Andrew, what are your picks? I've got
5: actually, well, if I counted them up, I've got like 10 picks today, but it's really four picks. Uh, my first pick is just a, a library on GitHub called PMKVO. Or, well, actually Observer. I think I've talked before on the show about how I love key value observing, but particularly in Swift, it's not as nice. It's not a super great API, even in Objective-C, but it's kind of not super Swift friendly. Um, this is a, a nice little wrapper around KVO that has both Objective-C and Swift APIs. It's quite new. It's only, I don't know, six months old and um, does some cool stuff like taking care of removing observers when the thing being observed is deallocated and vice versa. And it's type safe for Swift. And um, anyway, it's by Postmates. It's actually written by Kevin Ballard, who's been doing Objective-C development for a very long time, longer than I have. So I just think it's a cool thing. Uh, My next pick is on topic for the for the episode today, and it's something called Electric Imp. I think I might have picked this before too, but this is sort of like the particle photon, although it was the first thing like this that I saw. But uh, it's basically a little, you know, a little board you get. You can program it, and it connects to the internet. The cool thing about it is you program it all with a web IDE, and it automatically knows how to talk to to the internet and connects to Electric Imp servers, and you can actually talk to it with just a rest api so it's super easy to build a device that uses this thing is hooked up to the internet and you can write an ios app or a web app or anything that can talk to a rest api uh, to control it from anywhere so that's electric imp And then I thought I would pick a bunch of episodes of the show that we've done before that are sort of on the same topic, because we've actually done a few. And I think they'd be good to go back and listen to if you're particularly interested in this sort of Internet of Things and hardware and, and iOS and how it all fits together. So I'll just read the show numbers. and We can put links in the show notes. They are episodes 30, 43, 59, 107, and 127. Those are, we've talked about core Bluetooth and beacons and Arduino and devices that connect to iOS in general. So th- those are some good episodes. And last but not least is just a, a, I think a really good talk by, I can't, I'm not exactly sure how to say his first name. I don't know if it's Yoav or, or something like that. But anyway, Yoav Schwartz about core Bluetooth. I, I think he gave this at a Cocoa Heads, but um, he just did a really good job of going through how core Bluetooth works and some of the sort of gotchas and tips and, just the way the API works, it's it's actually sort of a weird thing to get your head around if you've never done it before. And he went through it in a really sort of straightforward way. So
3: those are my picks. All right, Jane, what are your picks? Okay, I've got three picks. One's a pick that's Apple source code. So if you want to start hacking on core Bluetooth, Apple has a sample app that you can download the code for and run it. And it'll actually turn two phones into the peripheral and the, the, the central uh, Bluetooth devices. So you can talk between two different phones and if you want to hack on stuff that's a good way to get started i was participating in a iot hackathon as kinda of ios mentor helping people out and that helped me get kind of settled with what's happening with core bluetooth uh, turns out the people at the hackathon did the more particle route where we are just talking to apis and stuff like that but um, got me into the the ble stuff so if you want to check it out check out the btle central peripheral transfer and that's just a on Apple, I'll put the link in the show notes. My second picker, or my I have two two picks left. One is a Tumblr account, so we put a chip on it, which just lists a bunch of bizarre things that people have put chips on. Water bottles, sure. Why not? Wine bottles, yeah. Okay, sure. So if you want to joke around, laugh a little bit about some of the odd things that people are putting chips on, which is just becoming very common. And most of these apps, these products, going to be terrible, but that's just the way things go. If that's not enough for you, if a Tumblr account, there's an internet account uh, with a slightly more brash person behind it um, with the title of, pardon my French, Internet of Shit, which uh, is a Twitter account that just does similar things. And these people really have about the easiest jobs in the world for the next 10 years, pointing out awful things that people are putting on the internet and connecting chips to. So those are my picks. All right. Caleb, do you have some picks for us?
1: Yeah, I've got a couple. This week, uh, there's a cool tool that I use. It's called Paint Code. Uh, many of you have probably heard of it before. It's normally 100 bucks, but it's 20% off for the week of WWDC. So basically, you can use it to design or import vector graphics and export that into native code, and and include that in your app. So you're not dealing with you know hundreds of at 2x and at 3x files. Another app. That I recommend this one's free. It's called Handy BLE, and this is uh, the, the tagline's the simple Bluetooth Arduino controller. One of my past students actually built this app, and it integrates with the light blue bean, and uh, you can send it messages to change the the color on it, and just kind of play around and experiment with that bean. So if you pick one of those up from listening to the show, that may be a fun app to play around with. And then my third one is uh, whatever the Amazon Echo competitor is that Apple announces on Monday. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping for that. I like it.
0: For our listeners, uh, this was recorded the week before WWDC. So it may feel like old news by the time it comes out. All right. Lane, what are your picks?
2: So I mentioned this earlier, but uh, my first would be the Ratchio, which is a sprinkler controller. Amazing setup. It took me about 30 minutes to replace my old sprinkler controller, and about 5 minutes to set everything up after that on my phone. Super slick. It reminded me a lot of the Nest uh, as far as the user experience. Really cool. Uh, My second would be Google's new app called Motion Stills, which converts live photos into gifs or videos amazing app it does image stabilization as well so the problem with live photos is it's really jerky a lot of the time and they smooth it out completely it's totally amazing and then my last one would be this one's totally just for fun but i bought a uh, geforce gtx 1080 this week which is the best and coolest graphics card ever created until next month until next month. But at least for one month, I can feel like I'm the top of the gaming world. That's it. Just those three.
0: All right. I'm going to throw a few picks out there. The first one that I have is I've been reading a book called Procrastinate on Purpose by Rory Vaden. And it is pretty awesome. Talks about setting priorities and how you get stuff done, how you can get more done, how you can get the right things done and all that stuff. So really, really, really liking that. So Definitely going to pick that. And then I'm also going to pick really quickly. I have, I have a handful of the uh, phone chargers that, you know, the battery packs that you get to take around everywhere. I keep them in my backpack with my laptop and I got one a while ago and it, I don't know why, but I feel like it, it just lasts a little longer and it's a little smaller than the rest. It's a Mophie battery pack. So I'm going to go ahead
4: and pick that as well.
0: Evan, do you have some picks for us?
4: Yeah. I, I have a couple here. First of all, I think on this whole topic of uh making, building stuff, BLE, I'd like to just throw out adafruit.com. That's A-D-A-F-R-U-I-T dot com. And uh, they have lots of good uh, tutorials and uh some interesting devices like the Feather Blue Fruit LE, which is another Device that you can get started with. It's a very good place to start with if you really want to start building your own things. It's a good uh, resource for that. The other thing was that there's this uh, interesting service that has uh, that I just found out about maybe a week or two ago called Beacons in Space, and uh, I don't know if this is really for necessarily for the the one off uh, the guy in a room developer, but it's kind of interesting for companies who want to be able to sort of rent beacons in various areas, various cities and uh, they actually have these scattered out and it's kind of an interesting thing where you you they're they're basically leasing out their beacons and uh, as a as a service cuz it's kind of an interesting thing and I think this will, we'll see more of this in the future because deploying beacons in a large area is just not a real super easy place uh, easy thing to do. The last thing that I wanted to mention is uh, the last uh, pick is this great talk by Adam Savage from uh, Mythbusters. So he did this sort of keynote talk at the Maker Faire this year, just a few weeks ago uh, in San Mateo down here. So his talk is recorded. It's on YouTube, but it's also on tested.com. And it's a, it's a super great talk. It's very inspirational, especially if you're a parent with kids that you think they might be interested in the whole and making. And if they have a creative side, it's really great. It's a kind of inspirational kind of talk. Awesome.
0: If people want to follow up with you, see what you're working on, follow you on Twitter, anything like that, Evan, where do they go?
4: Yeah. On Twitter, my Twitter account name is interactive logic, but there's no E after interactive. (laughs) It's because of Twitter's limitation, at least when I created my account to limiting it to 15 characters. So, uh, that's, uh, I N T E R A C T I V L O G I C. Uh, and so that's on Twitter. And then I'm available at, uh, cloudcity.io. That's our website. And, um, I, I can probably be contacted through those, uh, those means as well. So, um, also I, I have a-, a blog. I haven't done too much with it, but that's at, uh, .net, and that interactive does have a name.
0: All right. Well, thank you for coming. Thanks to our new panelists as well. We'll go ahead and wrap this up and we'll catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.